Okay, so we will continue our sermon sessions in the Gospel of John and the portion of Scripture, chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. I titled this sermon session, Sick for 38 Years. Sick for 38 Years years. The scriptures would say through the witnessed and recorded account of our Lord and Master, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And this man had thus far spent 38 years in calamity, in frailty, So thus far in uh, the Gospel of John, we've read the various interactions Christ has had with both Jews and non-Jews. The non-Jews being the ones with genuine faith in who he was, which is quite revealing, interesting, challenging, challenging. We saw how in the previous chapter, Christ interacting with a Samaritan woman and the Samaritans, and how he indeed interacted with a royal official, and how he interacted with Nicodemus, who was a man of the Pharisees, and a ruler of the Jews. And we've seen this interaction going to and fro in the ministry of Christ and all who should obey the new birth, whether Jew or non-Jew. And so thus far, this has been our journey throughout our sermon sessions. And as we saw the accounts that revealed how the non-Jews had genuine faith and the Jews more so of a superficial faith. We recognize how even this day in our generation, most believers, even Christians, are hardened of heart and choose to remain void of love and at times pure doctrine while the heathen, the pagan, the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, seek to embrace the Christ with much more passion and trust. So in the following chapters, five and so on, we're going to see growing hostility from the Jews, and this towards Jesus. And the reason that would be is for him healing on the Sabbath and also the claim that he, the Christ, Jesus, was indeed equal with the Father. But before such accounts begin to unfold, we take this sermon session to humbly investigate the information of a man Christ cured. And in verses 1 through 4, Again, we read together, it says, I quote, After these things, verse 1, chapter 5, John, After these things, 
there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there, there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos, or porches. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. So we see here Jesus actively pursues those who are afflicted. The lowly and desperate. And he does so in a location in which the upper societal prestige would most probably neglect. And that indeed is a um, a example, an example from our master we too should practice. So these who were afflicted found themselves so desperate that they allowed their minds to be captured, charmed by sensational stories and tradition, misguided in believing that miraculous powers from God's messenger were in this body of water. Okay? And it is important to recognize this section or this portion of Scripture which is probably uh, probably uh, seen in your Bible in parentheses of sorts, and it begins in verse 3b and concludes itself in verse 4, where it specifically says, waiting for the moving of the waters, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whosoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. And of that section, which is in uh, brackets, if you will, in your Bible, because the, I believe, um, oldest, if I'm not mistaken, the oldest manuscripts or latest manuscripts, I'm not certain, you'll have to do your own academic pursuits regarding this portion of text, either or, I can't remember if it's the oldest or the newest manuscripts did not have this portion of scripture. So that's why it's kind of seen there in the bracket. And though this sermon session is indeed not an academic pursuit, it is wise for us Christians to understand what is taking place here. However, it is in the Bible and we recognize it as inspired. And we would recognize it as inspired because what was in all manuscripts is indeed seen further in other verses which point back to what they were believing taking place in verse 3b and 4. So again, these who were afflicted found themselves so desperate that they allowed their minds to be captured, charmed by these sensational stories or a tradition of sorts, misguided in believing that there is a miraculous power taking place here. A supernatural presence in which a messenger from God would be there and um, 
heal them. But if we look at the text itself, of course, and what is seen in the natural agencies, we see no miraculous power within what they thought was to be miraculous. And you can know that by the words such as water, seasons, and moving. Okay? Like in certain times during the year, this body of water would bubble through perhaps cavities in the ground in relation to the pressures in climate. All right? And this is something we can understand because still today, in our era, uh, superstitious people believe that certain waters have miraculous healing powers also. And water and salt certainly has positive components for the human body, yet none of which miraculous but natural. And such is the power of God to create a natural realm filled with intricate and detailed engineering. There is a logical explanation to things. Science, a wonderful tool which helps us point to these things occurring. So in verse 5, after this here intro leading to a man who was there, who had been ill for 38 years, verse 5, chapter 5. So now we insert the witnessed and recorded account of this man, 38 years sick, and it is interesting to note that the word ill in the Greek, refers to an ailment that deprives someone of enjoying or accomplishing what they would like to do and instead focuses on the handicaps that go with the weakness. At times, you know, we are sick for many months or years. We can fail, uh, uh, or we can fail at many things or fall into... Uh, the snare of focusing on our weaknesses instead of our strengths. And this, at times in some, can lead to being overly dependent. Overly dependent. And as it was for this man, Jesus knew he had to challenge him out of this way of thinking. Hence, verse 6 which says, and I quote, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, Jesus, while on this earth, practiced miraculous things, supernatural things, right? He had the ability to control the weather, cast out demons. He had the ability to make whole the lame, to heal the sick, Raise the dead. He had the ability to see the inner lives and thoughts of mankind. And here, he recognizes this individual who had been sick for 38 years, lying there, and Jesus knew he had been there for a long time in that condition, in his situation. And this is what he asked the man, which is fascinating. 
Jesus is asking this man at this specific location who is waiting for some kind of a miraculous occurrence to take place so that he could be healed. Jesus is asking him a question and the question he asks is, do you wish to get well? A great many recorded accounts, we see individuals coming to Christ, begging Christ for healing or for a certain uh, uh, miraculous uh, reception for a loved one or themselves. Jesus here goes to them and he goes to him as he recognizes this man and he asks the question, do you wish to get well? Very important question. It demands personal responsibility and free will to choose whether he would or would not. Huh? Right? Would he be willing to change his current way of thinking? Would he become responsible and find employment, becoming a productive member of society? Or would he continue to play the victim card? From the consequences he brought on himself regarding sinful practices he may have actively participated in. Ah, how the account certainly takes different perspective when interpreted according to its context and what is truly happening with this man. There's a purpose in which we wanted to seek a bit deeper the idea behind the word sick and what it was indeed he was suffering from. Verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. That's his answer. That's his answer. The sick, the sick man's answer reveals he had no clue who Jesus was compared to the other interactions Jesus had, if you will. And he didn't ask anything of Jesus but rather stuck to his vain attempts to get into that water, which is a misguided and useless practice. And further, this individual, he blamed others for the reason why he was not healed. It's always someone else's fault, right? It's always someone else's fault. Poor me. I'm sick. There are certainly many things that are out of our control. So don't make an argument out of things I've never said. There are things that are out of our control. But yet there are still many things that are indeed in our control. Christ knew that of this man. Hence, uh, uh, interacting to the independent accountability this man had. If we're suffering the consequences of our sins, then why don't we change and stop sinning before it gets worse? 
Because continuing down the road of sinful activities, things always get worse. They don't get better, they get worse. And ultimately to the point where the worst of them all takes place. Eternal punishment. Eternal punishment. So if you are snared in fornication, adultery, homosexuality, abortion, lying, thieving, if you are participating in false religious activities and beliefs, rituals, shrines, traditions, if you are openly, actively participating in things that are lawless, it ain't going to get better for you. It ain't going to get better for us. Stop sinning so that nothing worse happens to you. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, snared in the consequences of sins you've been participating in. Stop looking for sensational paths that have no true miraculous power to heal you. Get off the couch. Go get a job. Right? Actively put legs to your prayers. Do you truly wish to be made well? Do you wish to get well? No, it's always someone else's fault. Well, Jesus says in verse 8, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Interesting. Interesting information. Jesus told him to take responsibility of his life, and it would begin when he, quote, got up, picked up, and walked. You are focused on your weaknesses, which came by the consequences of your sins. And you've remained snared there in your mind as a victim. You need to now produce something outwardly, an action, which will take you away from that victimhood mentality. And friends, we currently live in a generation in time where the powers and principles that be in our governing system and its policies and its propagandists, its propaganda channels and all its facets of public life, government, corporation, academia, entertainment, all of it has been manipulating us to embrace this victimhood mentality where it's always someone else's fault and so therefore it is my right to demand that you do something for me. Though it is my own fault, I demand you do something for me. And so it is a difficult out-of-season time we live in in our current culture to hear the truth of this account. It's not fair. I can't keep a job. 
It's not fair. I can't keep employment. I can't keep friends. I can't. Everything seems to be. Well, maybe you need to look inward. And maybe the question needs to be asked of you. Do you wish to get well? Do you wish to separate yourself from this repetitive pattern, this circular reasoning that leads you always uh, spiraling downwards? If you keep waiting to be zapped by some kind of a miraculous power while sitting on the couch, it's not going to happen. (laughs) God will be with you when you obey his word, but you must obey his word. It is an instruction to motivate you into action away from where you are currently Well, what does the text say? Jesus found him lying there. Get up. Do you know everywhere in this community, we keep saying, now hiring on all these businesses. Now hiring. Yet what else do we see everywhere? Individuals asking for money on the side of the road. Young individuals. Younger than I am who are capable of walking to and fro and standing up all day at times for 12 hours asking people for money. That can creep into the church, you know, and have our own brethren who can't keep a job, who can't have any integrity in the community, who are always uh, 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 breaking up relationships and friendships, who uh, uh, divert themselves to corruption because they don't want to work hard for it, so they got to have to take it from you. Do you wish to get well? How desperate are you to leave the snare of sinful activity you've been participating in? And sometimes we tend to think, well, sinful activity is for someone who is a murderer. Yeah, I can see. Well, sometimes, a great many more times, it is found in our complacency, our apathy, being idle, being vain. Well, I'm just not as good as brother or sister so-and-so. Now I'm going to play myself a little violin and I can't do anything in the church because I'm just not as good as brother so And those are excuses. There's always room in the church. There's always something we can be productive with. Get up, pick up after yourself, and start living a different life. The East Coast Church of Christ will always have work to do. There will always be something we can participate in. And as God blesses his church in growth and individuals are born again out of water and the spirit into the Lord's church and are members of this local assembly, there will be room in which one can get up, pick himself up, and work. Not only in things that are spiritual, which should be our priority, but also in the things in which we experience 
of the secular world. Many have squandered years being the victim. That's why their relationships have never bore fruit. That's why they've never been able to captivate career and flourish in the workforce. That's why they've never had independent faith, which would give them accountability and defense against wolves and sheep's clothing. That's why they resort to corruption instead of simply following the instructions of our Lord and Master. So Jesus says to this man, take responsibility of your life. And it would begin when he got up, picked up, and walked. Huh? Isn't that good? Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Pick up your pallet. Take responsibility of your life. God has blessed us with free will. Look at those motivational speakers. Multi-millionaires we see on TV. Some of them with no arms and no legs. Have you seen these motivational speakers? How are you going to tell that man who has no legs and no arms that he can't achieve what he's achieved? We'd be ashamed to do something like that. I just can't do it. You've got your arms and your legs. What are you speaking about? Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. All of us have been the recipients of all sorts of things. At times at our own hands because we've made bad decisions. And at times by the hands of those who have made bad decisions towards the innocent. We've all hurt Many of us have been betrayed. Many of us have been alienated. Many of us have been falsely accused. Many of us have gone through great pain, loss of loved ones, persecution. Many of us have gone through similar experiences in this fallen world. I don't see this within us here at this local congregation. But I preach it so that we are reminded that we don't want to go down that direction. Because we've witnessed congregations who have lost their light because they've gone down that direction. And we want to keep the East Coast church, which belongs to Christ, vibrant and passionate and filled with individuals who work, even in our sickness. And I know some of us here are really sick, right? We've suffered for years in sickness. But we've not allowed that to keep us away from the work of the church and the responsibilities we have in this world. Get up. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Pick up your pallet. Take responsibility of your life. Walk. Live in an upright, God-fearing way, being productive, an asset instead of being a liability. Legal terms, which translate in a very powerful way for Christians in the church. Each of us independently are going to either be an asset to the church or a liability. You're either going to be a giver or a taker. And do not mistake it. This is the dynamic 
of a great many congregations. And the congregations that find themselves with more liability will corrupt and go away, diminish and lose the light. We do not want that of this local assembly. The shepherds have great responsibility to shepherd and to utilize the word to have us understand this information. And I do believe, as we all together collectively know, that there are many in this community and in this province on the East Coast who will see the value of hard work, who will see the value of love and truth in Christ. In the many years of ministry, we've recognized some of our brethren are always going to be liabilities. They're always stuck in the victimhood worldview, which makes them a drain on our physical and spiritual resources. Repentance is the only remedy for such brethren. It is the only remedy for this dying world. In the words of Christ, again, do you wish to get well? Pretty much snap out of it. Wake up. Get to it. Change the way you think and the direction of your life. And that might include, friends, changing the people we socialize with. Do what it takes to separate ourselves from anything or anyone that will keep us in the victimhood worldview. Having us for years in a location where we think we're going to be zapped into uh, uh, healing. No, no, that's, that's not going to take place. And so in verse 9, it says, Immediately the man became well, and he picked up his pallet and began to walk. He stopped feeling sorry for himself. He took responsibility of his life. And he went forth living an upright life. He obeyed the word of God. There was no, you know, take these twice a day for a month. Jesus did not do that. He did not need to do that. Jesus, at this time and this opportunity, confirmed his word in a powerful, miraculous activity. This was a genuine, supernatural observance which happened instantaneously. And it resulted in a man who would have remained in his own pity to eventually wither away and die without ever having truly lived. Well, I'm just not smart enough. Well, I'm just not educated enough. These things will keep us down. And this fallen world, it will have us believe that we are not smart enough, educated enough. It will have us think we are not capable of being productive. And again, sadly, we've seen that in our brethren throughout our experience in the decades as a Christian. Now to the spiritual perspective, which is priority. 
If you live in sin, you're going to suffer the consequences of living in sin. If you wish to be healed from the consequences of sin, which is eternal punishment, we must obey the words of Christ, which has independent accountability and responsibility. Jesus, in the chapters prior, always connected together in this gospel to the new birth. Nicodemus had to obey the new birth, and so did the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans. Everyone has to obey the new birth. And that is indeed the very precise, accurate moment in which Christ Jesus will heal us. But there is a get up, pick up, and walk. Truly, truly, I say to you, he spoke in John chapter 3. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you seek to have the forgiveness of your sins, you must be born again. It is, as the, it is at the very precise, accurate moment of your new birth in which you will be made whole instantaneously. You do not need to practice traditional man-made shrines for months on end or to chant of a type of rosary or whatnot to chant something to have the forgiveness of your sins. You will be instantaneously, immediately forgiven of your sins upon your new birth. And what is this new birth? Christ explained it very well. You must be born out of water and the Spirit. Get up, pick up, and walk. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe will never be baptized. And so he or she will remain condemned. This man did not know who Jesus was, and he had put his trust, his faith, in a body of water that did not have any miraculous power. The waters of baptism in which all repented believers must be immersed into in order to receive the forgiveness of sins, the water itself has no miraculous healing power. It has no power to forgive us of our sins. It is the spiritual, it is the spiritual we must look at here. We must have faith in Christ to be washed of our sins in the watery tomb of our Lord and Master, to be born again out of water and the Spirit. And this is the new birth all must obey to have uh, uh, um, a genuine, instantaneous Forgiveness. That is why the New Testament is filled with these words. Galatians 3, 26, 27. Colossians 2, 12. 1 Peter 3, 21. Mark 16, 16. John 3, 3. John 3, 5. Romans 6, 3, and 4. All of these point to the new birth. It is the very accurate and precise moment that a repentant believer 
confessing Christ as his Lord and Master, qualifies to call on his name as he or she is plunged, dipped, submerged, clothed, buried, baptizo, born again, out of water, and the Spirit added to the church which belongs to Jesus Christ. We can learn much from this portion of Scripture. And we are indeed wise to recognize our own personal free-willed responsibility to obey the gospel. We cannot meritoriously earn our salvation. There is nothing in which we can boast about. We simply submit to Christ, our Lord and Master. The individual here, when he was told to get up, pick up, and walk, did not argue. He did it. He did it. He became the recipient of this healing. He just did it. Why can't we do the same to, when it comes to the gospel and receiving the forgiveness of our sins? Indeed, we must do this. And it is indeed available at any time for anyone who is independently accountable. And that will finish our sermon session for this Sunday. We'll move forward next Sunday, Lord willing as the information of the text reveals a great deal more. When the master makes the final call and you have to leave this earthly ball, well, where are you going to hide on that great day? Will you hear the Lord say, come well done, or into the mountains will you run? Well, where are you going to hide on that great day? The earthquake rocks the world. The world. Oh, where, oh, where, where are you gonna hide? Where you gonna hide? When the sun from space is hurled. Oh, where, oh, where are you gonna hide? Where you gonna hide? When all things have passed away. Say, where, oh, where are you gonna hide? Where you gonna hide on that?